Welcome to Everything Yesterday This Morning, a 15 to 20 minute daily recap of headlines you may have missed. Come for the news, stay for the snarky commentary. Good morning and welcome to Tuesday's edition of Everything Yesterday This Morning. I am your host, Literally Heather. Ah, good morning, you fabulous people. Happy August. It is my birthday month, so I'm totally vibing. Um, I hope that my show finds you all in a wonderful mood this morning. I'm going to make it even better by telling you that Palmetto State Armory is so awesome that they currently make it possible for you to build your own AR-15 rifle for a mere $339.98. That's not a joke. With the two links that I list in the show description, you too can be armed like the government that oppresses you. Uh, The first is a stripped lower for $39.99, and the second is a blem rifle kit for $299.99. Go check those out. Go show them some love. Get yourself armed, and then get yourself some training with the money that you saved from the awesome firearm. Okay, y'all, I don't know if I can stress how tired I am of talking about Hunter and Joe Biden. Like, I kind of just want them to fade into the nothingness, especially when we have bigger problems. But because I told you all about the hearing yesterday, I feel obligated to tell you about what transpired today. Hunter Biden would dial in his father, then Vice President Joe Biden, on speakerphone into meetings with his overseas business partners, according to the testimony that was delivered from Devin Archer today. Apparently, though, he had no knowledge of his son's business dealings and he was never in business with his son. Don't forget the talking point, people. And if you do forget it, Corinne Jean-Pierre is there to remind you. Hunter Biden's ex-BFF, Devin Archer, testified that the value of adding Hunter Biden to Burisma's board was the quote-unquote brand and confirmed then-Vice President Joe Biden brought the most value to the brand. Archer also stated that Burisma would have gone under if not for the brand. A couple of the most important things to have come out of Archer's testimony is in December of 2015, so fucking long ago. That's that's my Joe Biden impression, by the way. Mikola Zlochevsky, the owner of Burisma, and Vadim Potsarsky, not sure how to say that name, shocker, (laughs) an executive of Burisma, placed constant pressure on Hunter Biden to get help from Washington, D.C. regarding the Ukrainian prosecutor, Viktor Shokin. Shokin was investigating Burisma for corruption. Hunter Biden, along with Zlochevsky and Potsarsky, called D.C. to discuss the matter. Biden, Zlochevsky, and Potsarsky stepped away to take the call or make the call, Devin Archer testified that Hunter Biden put then Vice President Joe Biden on the speakerphone during business meetings over 20 times. But again, don't forget, he knew nothing of his son's business dealings. 
Archer testified that Joe Biden was merely put on the call to sell the brand. These phone calls include a dinner in Paris with a French energy company and in China with Jonathan Lee of BHR. In spring of 2014, then-Vice President Joe Biden attended a business dinner with his son, Hunter, and his associates at Cafe Milano in Washington, D.C. Elena Boterina, a Russian oligarch who is the widow of the former mayor of Moscow, attended the dinner. Notably, the Biden administration's public sanctions list for Russian oligarchs does not contain Baturina. Shocker, right? I know. You're so surprised. Again, none of this matters. Let's say they impeach him. Are you ready for a Kamala Harris presidency with the passage of time? I didn't think so. Uh, Georgia Power announced yesterday that its plant Vogtel 3 nuclear reactor has entered commercial operation, becoming the first new U.S. nuclear reactor to come online in more than 30 years. It's ridiculous, by the way. Operators said the Vogtel 3 reactor has completed testing and is reliably supplying power to the grid. This is massive. It would be a game it will be a game changer for Georgia residents and I wish this was a constant announcement across the country. The reactor will provide uh, an estimated 1000 megawatts of power to the state, enough to power 500,000 homes and businesses. Once the new units are online, the four reactor nuclear power plant will be the largest generator of clean energy in the nation. Today is a historic day for the state of Georgia Southern Company and the entire energy sector as we continue transforming the way we power the lives of millions of Americans. With Unit 3 completed and Unit 4 in the final stages of construction and testing, this project shows just how new nuclear can and will play a critical role in achieving a clean energy future for the United States. The plant Vogtel nuclear project was long stalled and is years behind schedule and billions over budget. Construction on Unit 3 began in 2013, and the project as a whole is $17 billion over budget. On Friday, Georgia Power said it has been cleared by the Nuclear Regulatory Commission to begin loading radioactive fuel into its other new reactor, Unit 4 which it plans to do beginning in September. Unit 4 is expected to be placed in service during the late fourth quarter of 2023 or the first quarter of 2024. The over-budget and behind schedule sucks. And I'm sure bureaucratic red tape and COVID did not help, but I am excited for Georgia to be taking this step, and I hope that more states take note and look to this option for the future. A landmark COVID-19 vaccine injury class action lawsuit has been filed against the Australian government and the medicines regulator. The nationwide suit, which reportedly has 500 members, including three named applicants, seeks redress for those allegedly left injured or bereaved by COVID-19 vaccines. 
One of the applicants who suffered a severe heart condition after getting the Pfizer jab is even claiming there was cover-up during the vaccine rollout, which hid the potential risks. A government and vaccine manufacturer being held accountable, not in the U.S., because your government absolved anyone from responsibility. Do you think anyone who jumped in line for 30 boosters has asked themselves, why did my government do that? Back in Australia, the federal government, the Therapeutic Goods Administration, or the TGA, and the Department of Health, in addition to a number of senior public servants, are all named as parties to the class action which was filed in the New South Wales Federal Court on Wednesday. The named parties are accused of negligence in their approval and monitoring of COVID-19 vaccines, breach of statutory duty, and misfeasance in public office. Gosh, it would be so nice to see something like this with Anthony Fauci's name on it. The lawsuit was organized by Queensland GP Dr. Melissa McCann, who raised over $105,000 through crowdfunding. These injured and bereaved have suffered immense loss, pain, and grief, Dr. McCann tweeted. Just as heartbreaking has been the gaslighting and silence, which has left them feeling abandoned. We cannot simply move on from COVID and leave them behind. Dr. McCann has been critical of the existing compensation scheme, claiming that it was not fit for purpose. Many vaccine-injured Australians who cannot access compensation through the Services Australia scheme now find themselves abandoned with no support. The size of the compensation claim being sought is not yet clear. I had honestly, like I just mentioned, I'd like to see this happen here in the United States. I don't know how it would work because I'm not an attorney, but I would love to see a class action against the government for making the decision to absolve the manufacturers of responsibility. It wasn't their place to do that. There has to be some sort of legal framework for recompense. The TGA's latest health safety report published on April 20th reveals that adverse adverse risks are extremely low. There were 138,307 total adverse event reports from nearly 66 million vaccine doses administered, which when you're looking at that as a rate of percentage, yes, I agree that that is a low percentage. However, there are nearly 140,000 people who had adverse events. Like, that's that, that's 138,000 people. That's a big deal. Huh. The medicines regulator has identified a total of 14 reports where the cause of death was linked to vaccination and said there was no new vaccine-related deaths identified since 2022. Is that because they stopped monitoring it or because it's not happening anymore? I'm curious about that. Or I mean, is that because people aren't getting the vaccine anymore? The TGA closely monitors reports of suspected side effects, also known as adverse events, to the COVID-19 vaccines. This is the most intensive safety monitoring ever conducted of any vaccines in Australia. But instructing solicitor Natalie Stridgeland of Brisbane law firm N.R. Barty 
said the action would argue the TGA caused considerable harm and damage by failing to regulate the COVID-19 vaccinations properly. The existing compensation, which is open to Australians who suffer a moderate to severe impact following an adverse reaction to a TGA-approved COVID-19 vaccine, has been heavily criticized for being difficult to access and too narrowly focused. As of April 12th, Services Australia had received 3,501 applications, but only paid 137 claims totaling more than $7.3 million. Another 2,263 claims are still in progress, while 405 have been withdrawn and 696 deemed not payable. Yellow Core, a beleaguered trucking company that was once one of the U.S.'s largest transporters of goods, has ceased operations and is planning to file for bankruptcy. The Teamsters Union said on Monday in a statement, the company had been in operation for nearly 100 years, but its financial challenges snowballed, leading it to accumulate more than $1 billion in debt. Yellow has historically proven that it could not manage itself despite billions of dollars in worker concessions and hundreds of millions in bailout funding from the federal government. This is a sad day for workers and the American freight industry. The company received a $700 million government loan during the pandemic as part of the COVID-19 relief program in 2020. The shutdown comes after Yellow failed to reorganize and refinance the roughly $1.5 billion that it had as of March in outstanding debt, a large portion of which came from the $700 million pandemic-era government loan. At the time of the loan, the company was facing charges of defrauding the government by overbilling on shipments for the U.S. military. It ultimately settled the lawsuit and agreed to pay the Defense Department nearly $7 million. So just in case that's confusing for you, let me reiterate. They were being sued for defrauding the government on shipments for the Department of Defense, but the government went ahead and loaned them $700 million. I had to read this three times to make sure that I was reading it correctly. The $729.2 million it now owes the federal government is due in September of 2024. Yellow has repaid only $230 million of the principal it owed, in addition to $54.8 million in interest payments. Government documents show. The shutdown also comes amid its ongoing and costly conflicts with its employees. Last week, the company declined to contribute to its employees' pension and health insurance plans, nearly prompting a strike. Yellow employed roughly 30,000 people as of the end of 2020. That figure is likely smaller now after a large number of Yellow employees received layoff notices on Friday. Workers who remain at the company could be at risk of losing their jobs as the company moves through the bankruptcy process. Some of its largest clients, including retailers like Walmart and Home Depot, 
and logistics platform Uber Freight have already halted shipments to the failing carrier company to prevent goods from being lost or abandoned in the event of a bankruptcy. As yellow customers take their shipments to other carriers like FedEx or ABF Freight, prices will go up for those who remain. Yellow's prices have historically been the cheapest compared to other carriers. Satish Jindal, president of transportation and logistics firm SJ Consulting, said that's why they obviously were not making money, he added. While there is capacity with the other LTL carriers to handle the diversions from Yellow, it will come at a high price for current shippers and customers of Yellow, Jindal said. Guess what that means for you as the consumer? Can't wait to continue my inflation experiment around Christmas time. Russian officials have explained the circumstances in which Moscow would withdraw the tactical nuclear weapons it has deployed to Belarus. In an interview with state news agency Ria Novosti, Alexei Polishchuk from I love these names, you guys, for real. From the Russian Foreign Ministry repeated Kremlin rhetoric that the weapons had been sent to Belarusian territory in response to the actions of the West. The specter of nuclear weapons. It's really interesting how this article is written, right? So it's like Alexei from the Russian Foreign Ministry repeated Kremlin rhetoric that the weapons had been sent in response to the actions of the West. That's just rhetoric that they're saying that. Not an acknowledgement that the actions of the West did in fact prompt the behavior. The specter of nuclear weapons has hung over Putin's full-scale invasion of Ukraine, although the United States has said there is no immediate indication the Kremlin plans to use such arms. Belarusian leader Alexander Lukashenko, a Putin ally, boasted last month about how territory in his country was hosting weapons that would be housed in a storage facility built by Moscow, which has said it would retain control of the missiles. But Polishuk told the Russian state news agency that the deployment of the weapons was, quote, in response to the long-term destabilizing nuclear policy of NATO and Washington and the fundamental changes that have recently taken place in key areas of European security. This forced containment measure is designed to ensure the security of the Union state, which, as you know, has a common defense space, he said. The Union state is an economic and defense union between Minsk and Moscow. He said that the hypothetical withdrawal of Russian tactical nuclear weapons from Belarus would only be possible if the United States and NATO abandoned their destructive course of purposefully undermining the security of Russia and Belarus, which they won't do, but it's fun to continue this back and forth. I hope we keep doing this. This implies the complete withdrawal of all U.S. nuclear weapons to U.S. territory and the elimination of corresponding infrastructure in Europe, added Polishchuk. Director of the Foreign Ministry's Department of CIS, which is the ex-Soviet countries. The State Department, of course, is silent. Putin has said that the transfer of nuclear weapons to Belarus would be completed 
By the end of summer, Lukashenko told reporters last month his top officials have been tasked with, quote, determining the algorithm for applying the weapons. However, experts have cast doubt on Lukashenko being able to use the weapons because it would it would be, I'm sorry, highly unlikely that he or his military would have access to their permissive action links, which prevents their unauthorized detonation. Emma Claire Foley, who is the associate partner for policy and research with the Global Zero Movement, said last month that Lukashenko's comments were part of his, quote, bluster to emphasize importance in the region. However, she said, the transfer of missiles with a 300-mile range close to the Lithuanian and Polish borders is cause for regional concern and intensifies the regional situation regarding nuclear weapons in Europe. Gee, do you think? And in today's Are You Kidding Me segment, we have cases of leprosy, which is an infectious disease that has been around since ancient times, increasing significantly in Florida, and health experts fear the disease is now endemic to the state. Central Florida accounts for nearly one-fifth of all cases in the United States, according to the CDC, which who knows what you can believe from them anymore, but for 81% of the cases reported in Florida. Also known as Hansen's disease, leprosy is usually spread during lengthy person-to-person contact through airborne droplets from the nose and mouth of an infected person. Historically, leprosy has been uncommon in the United States, and most cases have come from people who immigrated from countries where the disease is more common. But since 2000, cases of leprosy have gradually increased and have more than doubled over the past decade. Shocker, I wonder what else has more than doubled over the past decade. And the CDC reveals that about 34% of the cases reported from 2015 and 2020 were locally acquired, as opposed to travel-related cases. So less than half of them, the rest of them 70 ish percent, 66% of the cases are from travel-related cases. Leprosy is caused by the bacteria Mycobacterium leprae, and it affects a person's skin, eyes, mucous membranes, and nerves, causing disfiguring sores and nerve damage. Leprosy has been around since before the biblical era, when people shunned and isolated those with the disease in so-called leper colonies. It can now be effectively treated with antibiotics when caught early, so there's no longer any need to quarantine people. Although most cases of leprosy are spread from person to person, the disease can also be spread through zoonotic or animal contact, especially through armadillos. In the southern United States, some armadillos are infected with the mycobacterium leprobacteria, and it's possible that the animals can spread it to people who come in contact with them. Leprosy can affect people of all ages, but it's most common in people aged 5 to 15 and those over 30. More than 95% of people infected with mycobacterium leprae don't ever develop leprosy because their immune system fights off the infection. Symptoms of leprosy can include 
skin patches, numbness or tingling in the hands, feet, arms, and legs, painless wounds on the hands and feet, and muscle weakness. If left untreated, leprosy can cause paralysis, vision loss, disfigurement of the nose, permanent damage to the hands and feet, and shortening of the fingers and toes. The disease can develop very slowly over a span of months or years, making it hard to pinpoint when and where a person caught it. Antibiotics can usually treat the condition, but permanent nerve damage may occur. The CDC is now warning doctors to consider leprosy when examining patients who have traveled to Florida or elsewhere in the southeastern United States. I, for one, can't can't wait to see what diseases the Chinese are cooking up to unleash on our citizens in their unlicensed biolabs. That is your Tuesday edition of Everything Yesterday This Morning. Thank you for joining me. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. I love you guys. You take care and have a great Tuesday. If you like today's show, be sure to subscribe and turn on notifications so you never miss an episode. Also, please don't forget to check out shouseinthehouse.com and never forget that free men do not need permission from any government. Have a great day.